0: A reminder, if you've not already, you can uh, nominate the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio in the Podcast Awards, podcastawards.com. We are competing in the category of Best Entertainment, and Best mail Hosted Podcast. Go to podcastawards.com. Well, now, let's go ahead and get into today's episode of The Adventures of Sam Spade. The original air date, August 5th, 1947, and the title is The Adam Fig Caper.
1: The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective, brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first.
2: Sam Spade, Detective Agency.
3: Me, sweetheart.
2: Oh, Sam, I got it.
3: Got what, my pet?
2: A bank book, Sam.
3: Well, you must advertise in the lost and found right away, Effie, and find the owner. Might be sickness in the family. Oh,
2: but it's your bank book, Sam. What? Uh Uh-huh, it has your name on it. Samuel Spade, account number four. It's a
3: forgery. Somebody's trying to pin something on me. Lock it up and don't touch it until I get there. Oh,
2: all right. Did you make a lot of money on this one, too?
3: Got the check right in my pocket, 500 bucks.
2: Oh, Sam, we're making more money than a movie star. Well, almost. And all honestly, too. Hmm. 600 last week and 500 this week.
3: Yeah, how about that? Life gives a three-page spread to I Spy Moulton. But uh, we mustn't let it turn our heads, Effie. No. We gotta stay in there pitching. I'll be right down to pitch my report on the Adam Fig caper.
1: Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. You've heard the saying, you never know until you try. Well, you'll never know how handsome your hair can look until you try Wild Root Cream Oil. See for yourself how neatly and naturally Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair. Note how effectively it relieves annoying dryness and removes loose, ugly dandruff. You can get Wild Root Cream Oil hair tonic in either the big economy-sized bottle or the handy tube. Or you can ask your barber to use it on your hair. But by all means, try it. Don't delay. Get it today. Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade.
2: Hmm? Oh, you're going to love it.
3: Well, we got to watch these expenses, Effie. You know, there's always something. Yes,
2: but this will be saving. It saves confusion. It saves fretting.
3: Mm-hmm. Now, this gadget here, what is it?
2: It's a men-a-robot.
3: robot a what about?
2: It's for busy men like yourself, Sam, so you don't have to burden your mind with petty details. You see, it has this dial on it, right here. And you drop these little cards in this slot. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about that. That's for me to take care of. Oh, good. Then, when you come into the office, and supposing you have an appointment with Mr. Jones at 2 o'clock, and you forgot about it, you just dial 2 o'clock, and the little card pops out, and it says Mr. Jones on it.
3: How do I remember to dial 2 o'clock?
2: Oh. Well, maybe it's in the instruction book. But anyway, now go ahead, Sam, please. The card's right in there. Now, dial 2 o'clock. Go on, Sam.
3: Let's see. uh...
2: Just like a telephone, Sam. Uh
3: Now what do I do?
2: Well, Give it time, Sam. It's thinking.
3: Must have forgotten. Uh, Jones. Mr. Jones. Effie, you think it's dead?
2: Sam, I don't understand it. It was working perfectly. Well, I'll take it straight back first thing in the morning.
3: You'll have to. It'll never find the way itself. You got your book, sweetheart?
2: Yes, Sam. <laughs> I don't understand. It was working perfectly. Well, that's a little all right,
3: honey. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Date, October 5, 1947, to Hillary Exxon Esquire from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Oh, Emma, sorry. oh honey, it's only a memo robot. <laughs> Subject, the Adam Fig caper. Dear Mr. Exxon, October 2nd in San Francisco was one of those days that you see blown off the calendar by a gust of wind in the movies to denote the time is passing. It was a day for scraping off the minutes with a fingernail file and wondering whether the display ad I'd paid for in the classified section of the phone book wasn't just a waste of money. It certainly wasn't the day I'd expect a leprechaun to walk into my office. He uh, said his name was Adam Fig. He said he was the butler at Exxon Manor in Los Nidos.
4: The limousine, Mr. Spade, is waiting to take you away. We mustn't keep them waiting, must we?
3: Of course we mustn't. Uh, who mustn't we?
4: Why, Mr. Hillary, of course, sir. Oh, Mr. Hillary. And old Mr. Exxon. Mm. The old gentleman is very ill.
3: Uh, Dr. Feige's office is down the hall. Turn to your right, second door.
4: Well, I assure you, sir, that Mr. Exxon is the best of medical care. Your duty will be simple, to prevent his death. Uh, Do I donate blood or just frighten away the evil spirits? It isn't quite that, sir. Someone is trying to kill Mr. Exxon. He's a very sick man, and I'm sure he'd prefer dying from natural causes. Uh
3: Uh-huh. I get $25 a day in expenses. Here is an ample
4: amount in advance. But you should know, sir, that the old man is a nasty,
5: cantankerous, villainous, crooked, intimidating... $500?
4: Please, Fig, you're talking about the
3: man I love! (laughs) Los Nidos was at least an overnight caper, so on my way out, my lovely and charming secretary, Miss Perrine, handed me a brown paper bag which contained A, one pair of socks, darned, B, one shirt, ironed, and C, the apple which she always polishes for me the night before. We arrived at your large, southern-style mansion two hours later. Take
4: Oh, Fig, where the devil have you been? In the city, sir. I can't find the keys to the liquor closet. Where are all the maids? What happened to that cook we hired yesterday? Who is this man, and why is he wearing that necktie? This is Mr. Spade, sir, the detective. Oh, oh, uh, I'm Hilary Egson. Come in, come in, please. Go on upstairs, Fig. See what that girl is doing to my father. I don't believe she's in this at all. Very good, sir. In here, Mr. Spade. Pardon the condition of the house. The old man has been firing the servants again.
3: Your father, you mean?
4: Yes, yes. Every time he gets shot at, he fires all the servants.
3: He gets shot at pretty often?
4: About once a year, in the fall. Uh-huh.
3: You always hire a
4: detective? Uh, no. Oh, dear. I'm
3: not keeping you up, am I?
4: No, no, excuse me, please. It's, it's much worse this time. I can't get any sleep guns going off in the middle of the night. The whole household disturbed. When
3: and where was he last shot at?
4: Yesterday morning at about half past one. I dug the bullet out of the woodwork myself, a 38 caliber... ...embedded in the door frame that leads to Miss Kaywood's room. Oh, uh, that, uh, that's his nurse.
3: Was she with him at the
4: time? No. No, Dad sleeps like a baby full of sedatives, she sees to that. Shot come from outside? Yes, yes, but we found nobody on the grounds. No traces of anybody. I don't know whether Dad knows who shot at him or not. He's such a closed-mouthed
3: devil. You don't uh, care very much for your father, do you?
4: To be frank, Mr. Spade, if hating weren't such an effort, I I would despise him. him. He is without a doubt... Well, listen, listen. Get out of here! There, there, that's just a sample. Well, come on, come on, let's see what's eating him now.
6: Get out! Don't talk to me like that. I tell you, I won't stand for it. Well, you don't have to stand for it. Take that silly painted face out of my side. Don't you dare to... Get out!
7: I'm quitting. I'm quitting, Mr. Exile. I can't stand another minute yelling, screaming, throwing things at him. You must have minute. done
4: something to set him off. I didn't.
7: I can't. Oh. I didn't.
4: This but is it. Mr. Spade, Miss Kaywood.
7: Detective.
3: Will it make you happier to know that I'm a private detective, uh, Miss Kaywood?
7: Well, Mr. Spade, I only hope you can prevent a murder. If there's any way at all that I can help, I... Thanks.
3: I'll uh, see you downstairs after I've talked to the old man.
4: You'd better go in
3: alone, Spade.
4: Oh, Miss Kaywood, do you have a throat spray downstairs? I seem to be congested. Oh,
8: go away. Go away! Go
9: away! Oh, (laughs) well... Wasting ammunition. Who are you? If you're a total stranger, come on in. Well, don't be afraid, son. Come on over where I can look at you. Uh, It's hard to keep my eyes open. Oh, I mustn't do that. I mustn't do that. Oh, so you're the detective, eh?
3: That's right, Pop. If you want to take a little nap or something, I'll come back later.
9: Uh, oh, oh. Oh, what did I say just now? Come back later? No, 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 no. There's no reason for you to come back later. I'll say everything I have to say right now. The shot woke me. I didn't see anything. I don't know anything. I've got a million enemies. I can't remember the names of any of them. Why don't you
3: try to remember? I could have them checked.
9: Wasting your time, Sonny. In my day, I've wiped out a hundred men, and I'll outlive anybody who's gunning for me now.
3: You must be proud of your past, huh?
9: Proud? Uh, Sonny, a past like mine is the finest thing an old man can have. I've swindled my partners and betrayed my friends. I've turned state's evidence just (coughs) to see my associate get sent up for 20 years. And they say my wife died under peculiar circumstances and I got rich off her insurance. Now I'm done talking. (coughs) Uh, Oh, do me a favor, son, please. I've got to get a half hour, 20 minutes sleep alone. You'll keep them out, everybody. Please, will you?
3: Sure, sure, Pop. Uh, Go ahead. Go on, sleep.
9: Oh,
8: thank you. Thank you
3: he closed his eyes, rolled over and fell into a heavy sleep I stood there a moment, looking down at the frail wasted old body then I cased the room and digging the bullet out of the door, Hillary had done a good job of ruining any chance there might have been of proving the direction it had come from I strolled out on the balcony it was a pretty night I lit a cigarette and took it in then I heard the door open and close softly behind me. Nurse Kaywood was at your father's bedside. She was filling a hypodermic from a small vial of bluish liquid. He didn't awaken when she jabbed it into his arm. Then she saw me standing in the doorway. She hastily dropped the medicine vial into her uniform pocket and came around the bed to meet me.
7: Oh, oh Mr. Spade, oh, thank heaven, Why? I... When I saw you standing there in the half-night, I thought you might be... Thought the... I was who? Why, the, the man who fired the shot.
3: It was a man? I,
7: well, I don't know. I, I didn't see it happened. I just assumed Eleanor, that... Me... You
9: shouldn't have done it. I warned you of... It. Eleanor... Oh, uh, we're, dis- we're
7: disturbing him. Let's you talk should... outside. Okay. Oh, it's good to breathe something besides sick room air.
3: I thought you got used to things like that in your profession.
7: Why are you so unfriendly, Mr. Spade? Nurses are human, aren't detectives.
3: Try me, sweetheart.
7: I know what you're thinking of me. But after a week in this horrible house, that that poor old man, he's frightened. He's really frightened. What of? Why, the shots.
3: Thirty-eight caliber or hypodermic?
7: Surely you don't think that I... He's supposed to be under sedatives. The the doctor's orders... Sorry,
3: sweetheart. It's my job to suspect everybody. Oh.
7: Can't you forget your job, even for a moment? Sure. Sure.
3: If you don't mind the fact that I know you're a liar, that I'd make book you didn't come here primarily as a nurse, and what's worse, your act's not even convincing.
7: Oh. Is it that bad, Sam? Yeah.
3: Almost bad enough to be good. Come here.
7: Oh, Oh, I hate you. It was
3: a very satisfactory love scene for both of us. For reasons of her own, Barbara wanted to keep me out of that sick room for a while, and she did. For reasons of my own, I wanted to get that medicine vial out of her uniform pocket, and I did. Then, as suddenly as we had fallen into love, we fell out again. After she'd gone to her room, I went back to my sentry duty around the house. Under a light on the front veranda, I examined the bottle from which Barbara had taken the injection for your father. It was labeled sodium thanatol and had been dispensed by a firm called Ibis Chemicals Limited in Cairo, Egypt. The screen filled the house. High and frenzied, I started running toward Barbara Kaywood's room. I slammed the terrace door open and found the light switch. Barbara was sitting upright in the center of a bed. Her face jerked up so abruptly that it seemed a neck had snapped. She clutched both hands to her chest and fell face down among the bedclothes, staining them with her blood. I don't know whether I went through, over, or around the screen that stood between her room and the old man's. I circled Exxon's bed. He lay on the floor on his side facing the window. I went outside. A 38 automatic lay on the ground a few yards away from the building. I put that into my pocket and listened. No shadows moving nothing. Then he was on me before I could be sure he wasn't a medium-sized tree. Oh, ah, break your
5: back.
4: Be the light. The
3: warm stuff on my cheek might have been the thing's blood or mine. It gathered me up and bent me back and tore at my throat. <laughs> then I remembered that hands are stronger than fingers. I started with his thumbs. <laughs> he lay there for moment, then his huge body began to twitch. He was holding his fingers and sobbing like a baby. I pulled him up to his feet, poked him in the back with the flat of my hand. I followed him through an opening in the hedges and down a long pitch dark lane toward the lights of a squat brick house set on the top of a slight rise. As we approached it, the door opened and light streamed out onto the porch. The tall man framed in the doorway was the last person in the world I expected to see.
5: Ah, oh, Marcus, you brought him. Oh, master, very delightful service, but have much pain in fingers. Always <laughs> complaining, Marcus. Welcome, Mr. Spade. Come in, my dear fellow. Come in. I've been expecting you. The lost family fortune by 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 uh, 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 blackmailing me. <laughs> And if you don't,
3: uh, remit, Exxon could have you booked for forgery, uh, blackmail, definition of character.
5: Oh, or, uh... my my, my dear fellow, oh, please. This, this, this is most painful. But if I had but the, the original letter, I could destroy it and go back to the felt. Oh, the felt. What happened to him? Uh, that pig, that, 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 that stinker stole it. He burgled on my home. Are you uh, taking pot shots at old Exxon? Well, don't be a fool, man. I want Exxon to stay alive. I must find out some part of his life which will have an exchange value that will cancel out what he has on me. By the way, old thing, uh, you met Miss K. Wood? Mm-hmm. At the present moment, she's milking me for $150 a day. Oh. She's supposed to goad the old man by whatever means necessary into talking about his past. And that information she is to bring to me. Well, that ought to be easy. Exxon brags about his past. Now, well, so far, I've learned that Hilary Exxon stole two heifers of the livestock show in Abilene in 1906.
3: <laughs> I feel for you, Captain. I wouldn't get much on the uh, current market,
5: would it? My dear fellow, I've a, I've a proposition to make to you. Should you ferret out anything that would be of value to me, I'll reward you handsomely. Well, maybe something can be arranged, Captain. Good, excellent. May I have your word on that? Well, there isn't
3: much time, Captain. I'd uh, better trot on back. I'll show you to the door, sir.
5: And let me warn you, Mr. Spade, for your own good, should you ever hear the thrum of ibis wings, run, flee.
3: I assured him that I would heed his warning, bade him good night, and started back down the lane in the direction of Axon Manor. Business was going on as usual... There were no shots this time, only the screen. When I got to Barbara's room, you and Adam were standing at a bedside trying to quiet her down.
4: Well, Mr. Spade, is this the way you guard the house against intruders? Where have you been? Ask Adam. What does he mean by that thing? I'm sure I don't know, sir. I've not left the house. What happened here? Oh, she woke up screaming. She said someone had come into the room and torn off her bandages. A nightmare, of
7: course. Please, please, I want to talk to Mr. Spade alone. Oh, please, please go. Adam, you go too. Please, Hillary, you cook, too. Good.
3: Some questions I want to ask you, sweetheart,
4: alone. <laughs> Herbert, look here, Spade, look here. She just had a terrific shock. She shouldn't be uh, questioned. The, the code of detective transcends <laughs> that of the medical, Mr. Hillary. Yeah. Perhaps he should have a few minutes alone with Miss Kaywood. Oh, very well, very well, Fig. I, I suppose you no best. I Remember don't... what the doctor said, Miss Barbara. Not too much exertion.
7: <laughs> what
3: happened, Barbara?
7: Well, it, it could have been a dream. Somebody was standing over me in the darkness and peering down at me. And then he started to rip off my bandages and I screamed. And when Fig came into the room and, and he turned on the lights, he was gone. It, it could have been a dream, Sam. And I could have been clawing at the bandages myself in, in my sleep.
3: But you weren't. It wasn't a dream. I've been talking to Captain Sherry.
7: And then I thought... Oh, oh well, how much do you know?
3: That you've been feeding the old man truth, sir, and to get to talk in his sleep. Oh. How much talking has he done?
7: Well... Plenty.
3: How much you told Sherry?
7: Well, just as little as possible. Why? Because, Sam, if, if we can keep that old man alive and out of jail long enough to sell what we know to Sherry for what it's really worth, we'd be fools not to do it.
3: What makes you so sure you'll stay alive long enough to collect, sweetheart?
7: Well, because you're going to help me, aren't you, Sam? So I helped
3: her, but not for the reason she thought. I made a lot of noise, leaving her room and going to mine. Going back, I didn't wear any shoes. I slipped into a clothes press in her room so quietly that even she didn't hear me. I left the door slightly ajar and waited. Time passed, and I was stiff from standing still. It happened at about 3 a.m., The feverish glare of his eyes told me that the threat of the gun in my hands meant nothing to him. I jumped to his side, twisted the knife away from him, picked him up in my arms, and carried him kicking, clawing, and swearing back to his bed. He lay there, breathing hard. Then he smiled.
9: You're a smart one, sonny. You had me figured out the first time you came in here.
3: Didn't you? Not quite, Mr. Exxon. The gun under your window was the clincher.
9: (laughs) That gun? Sure. I had it under my pillow all the time. I got tired of shooting into door frames.
3: Look, you're dying, Mr. Exxon. There's no use trying to make up stories now.
9: (laughs) You're right, sonny. I knew that nurse would sit up in bed after I fired tonight. And then I let her have it right through the screen. Why? You know why well enough. She was doping me up and sneaking in here at night listening to what I was babbling about.
3: Maybe you weren't saying anything important, Mr. Exxon.
9: I might have, Sonny. I might have. Fourteen years ago, I killed my wife. I wanted to carry the secret to my grave. (laughs)
3: You nearly made it at that.
5: Oh, Mister Spade, what's happened?
3: Is he dead? He's dead.
5: Did he say anything, sir? Did he confess anything? You must he? tell me if he said anything. I didn't hear him say a word. Oh. Well, hmm, yeah, Mister Spade, charged with a certain texture, a significant quality.
3: There's a certain smell, yes.
5: Now, oh, an omen. You can inhale it, sir. Journey thou to Nairobi on the Felt. Tarry seven days, and you will collect the fabulous golden skull of Wizami, king of the bojamas. Aha! Marcus! Yes, Unhook the hookah! Peck the marmalade! We are off to the Felt!
8: <laughs>
3: Just then, a flock of birds broke across the horizon, screaming. There must have been thousands of them, but not Ibis, Mr. Exxon. Vultures. I suppose if you're going to pay any attention to omens, it's a good thing to know your birds. Period. End of report.
1: Right now, I have something to say to every man who doesn't use a hair tonic, to every man who says, I don't believe in it or I don't need it. That all depends on what you mean when you say hair tonic. If you mean the old-fashioned greasy kind that leaves your hair smelling like a perfume factory, you're absolutely right. But remember, Wild Root Cream Oil hair tonic is nothing like that. Wild Root Cream Oil is an entirely new kind of hair grooming preparation. There's not a drop of alcohol in Wild Root Cream Oil, and it contains soothing lanolin that's like the oil of your skin. Most important, Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair the right way, neatly and naturally, never leaves your hair sticky or greasy. Get the big economy-sized bottle and the handy new tube that's economical, easy to pack when you travel, and grand for the bathroom cabinet. Don't delay. Get it today. Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Well, I feel we, uh... Better... Sam!
2: The memo Robot works after all. I told you it would.
3: Yeah, it just takes a little time, sweetheart.
2: Oh, read the card, Sam. Now, you see? You'd know you were supposed to see Mr. Jones at 2 o'clock. Isn't it wonderful?
3: Well, this card doesn't even mention Jones.
2: Huh? What does it say, Sam?
3: Well, it says, uh, Journey thou to Friskin's Drugstore. Wager $5 on Ira W. in the 3rd at Belmont Park.
2: Oh, Sam, it's psychic.
3: Tarry but a moment. Yes? Thou wilt lose five bucks. Oh, good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart.
1: The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spears. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dowd with musical direction by Lud Gluskin. This is Dick Joy reminding you that next Sunday, author Dashiell Hammett and producer William Spear join forces for another adventure with Sam Spade brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Smart girls use Wild Root Cream Oil, too, for quick good grooming and to relieve dryness between permanents. Mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Welcome back! Well, if you told me one of the shows we play would feature a robot, Sam Spade would not have been my first guess. I would have imagined Philo Vance or Dangerous Assignment. I'd even think Mr. Chameleon before I'd think uh, Sam Spade. But there you go. And, uh... It's worth noting that the first four seasons of Sam Spade were broadcast live, once from the East Coast and once from the West Coast, according to Martin Graham's. Uh, And it's clear that Howard Duff really was trying hard to maintain his composure. But Lorene Tuttle did not make that easy. Well, it's worth noting that the popularity of Sam Spade led to probably uh, more comedy parodies than any other series, including Dragnet. And we're going to play some of those for you on the program, Uh, particularly on episodes where we've got less than 30 minutes of program. So we're going to go ahead and bring you a little clip from the Fred Allen Ford Show. And this features Arthur Treacher, original air date, November the 7th, 1948. Let's go ahead and listen to Sam... Shovel, Private
8: Detective.
4: The 50's Pickle Lily Mystery Playhouse presents...
10: Another exciting adventure in the life of... Sam Shovel, Private Eye.
11: I am Sam Shovel, Private Eye. I've cracked a lot of tough cases, but the toughest case I ever cracked was the case of Sir Hubert Bottomley. One day I'm sitting in my office, dropping some murine in me private eye.
8: <laughs> I'm
11: just squeezing out the dropper. Hearing a knock, I deduce that somebody's at the door. Well, I say, come in.
6: <laughs> to do.
11: Yeah, lady.
6: I'm looking for Sam Shovel, private optic.
11: I... I'm Sam Shovel.
6: I'm Lady Bottomley. My brother, Sir Hubert Bottomley, is missing.
11: Missing what?
6: He's missing himself. Oh.
11: Has you looked around in his coat?
6: I don't know. <laughs> Sir Hubert's been here in America. Yes? Every month I've been sending him his allowance.
11: Twenty pounds. Twenty pounds of what, lady? Money. Oh, money.
6: (laughs) For 15 years, I haven't heard from Sir Hubert, so I decided to come to America. Yeah? Mr. Shovel, you must find my
11: brother. Lady Bottomley, I'll find Sir Hubert Bottomley, or my name ain't. Sam Shovel, Private Eye. (laughs)
8: Lady
11: Bottomley told me her brother was a big game hunter. The last address she had of Sir Hubert turned out to be an old brownstone back of a natick stand just off Madison Avenue.
8: <laughs>
11: Lady Bottomley was trembling as I pulled the old-fashioned bell. Yes? Are you Sir Hubert Bottomley?
10: I'm Bellwether, Sir Hubert Butler. Whom have I the melancholy honor of addressing?
11: <laughs> I'm Sam Shovel, private eye. Stand back, Bellwether. Me and Lady Bottomley's coming in.
10: Get your hands off my lapel. You're rumpling my
6: ditties. (laughs) I say, Bellwether, will you announce to Sir Hubert that his sister, Lady Bottomley, is here?
11: I didn't like the looks of Bellwether. From the way he was talking, I couldn't tell if he was English or if he just had bad bridge work. (laughs) I was just putting the magnifying glass on Bellwether when he said... If
10: you two damp intruders will excuse me, I shall tip along to the trophy room. I have to shampoo
11: a moose head. Not, not so fast, Bellwether. What's this trophy room?
6: Oh, my brother, Sir Hubert, is a big game hunter.
11: Oh, rather, on his
10: last trip, the master bagged an enormous giraffe.
11: Oh, yeah? Where is the giraffe? Well,
10: the body is in the basement. The neck goes through the second, third, and fourth floors, (laughs) and the
6: head is looking out of the penthouse window.
10: (laughs)
11: Sounds like a tall story, Bellwether.
6: Bellwether and gentlemen, if you don't mind, would you announce me to my brother, Sir Hubert?
10: Yeah, Lady Bottomley
11: here thinks Sir Hubert's met with foul play. Oh,
10: preposterous. Obviously, eating meat has unhinged Lady Bottomley's reason. At this precise moment... Sir Hubert is in the game room playing chess with Lord Beaverball.
11: weather, you hoy Lady Bottomley. She wants to be announced.
10: As soon as Sir Hubert finishes his chess game, I shall announce Lady Bottomley. And now I must be off and shampoo that moose head, or Daz will have done it before I get there.
6: <laughs> I say, Mr. Shovel, I'm terribly sorry to have troubled you. My brother seems to be quite all
11: right. I don't like it, Lady Bottomley. You think there's something wrong? I don't trust that bellwether.
6: Oh, I say, what was that?
11: It wasn't me snapping me bubble gum. That was a
6: shot. Those were five shots, I know it.
11: And they were, you're very quick on the trigger, counting them shots, Lady (laughs) Bottomley. And they was coming through that keyhole. And
6: they were coming to at. the
11: There's something suspicious going on here, Lady Bottomley. Or my name ain't Sam Shovel, Private Eye. They were shots, all right. Me derby had a crease in it. Me badge had a dent in it. And me coat had seven new (laughs) buttonholes. There was only one way to find out who was shooting at us through that keyhole... I opened the game room door. Tim Shovel. Bellwether. What's the big idea? Firing that shotgun through the keyhole.
10: Oh, I thought you'd get a bang out of it. Ho <laughs> ho!
11: <laughs> While Bellwether was amusing himself, I took a quick gander around the game room. Sitting at a table motionless, there was two men playing chess. I was just ready to pounce when I heard Lady Bottomley say. Mr. Shovel. Yeah?
6: One of those men playing chess is my brother, Sir Hubert Bottom.
11: I'll soon check on that, Lady B. Hey, you with the half a pair of glasses.
6: I, I, I say, what's over, hugger-mugger? Can't you see we're playing chess? Still <laughs> 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 with I'm
10: sorry, Lord Beaverboard. I told these two fruity intruders that I would announce them when you were finished.
6: Sir Hubert? Oh, Sir Hubert, you recall your sister, Lady Esther? It's Sir
11: Hubert ah! Hey, what's wrong? What's wrong, Lady Bottom? Sir Hubert, he's,
6: he's dead Dead? By Jove, that explains it
11: Explains what?
6: Well, our chess game Sir Hubert hasn't made a move in ages He's just been sitting there Holding his bishop <laughs>
11: I no, possibly was bored to death I'm dull company, you know <laughs> No, you says boss wrong What? Sir Hubert's got a hole in his head Look, this dimple has no bottom to it <laughs> You're right,
6: it's a bullet hole This
11: is moider
6: Moiter. Moider
11: Nobody's leaving this room Come clean now, somebody Who shot Sir Hubert? Well,
10: none of us could have done it, old boy We're all here in the room together
11: Hey, that's right
10: Shovel, there
6: must be somebody else in the house.
11: I can take a hint, Lady Bottomley. Come on, Bellwether. I'm finding that somebody else, so my name ain't Sam Shovel, Private Eye. Bellwether and me started searching the room. There was two closets. I says to Bellwether, Bellwether, open that f- the first door. Very well, sir. Dad! An elephant in the closet. The
10: Hubert bagged it in India. Chopped the blighter right out from under boo.
11: <laughs> Say, there's mohair sticking out of the elephant's trunk. And what's this label on the trunk? Taxidermy by Aubrey Tuttle. Who's Aubrey Tuttle? Aubrey Tuttle was the Hubert's favorite taxidermist. What's in this next closet? I'll open the door. Jeepers! Four dead bodies. There's something here that ain't kosher, Bellwether. <laughs> I'm taking another gander at Sir Hubert's body.
6: Mr. Shovel, what's this Sir Hubert is sitting on?
11: Oh, it's a newspaper. Sir Hubert is only
10: four feet eight inches tall. He has to sit on the Sunday Times to look over the chess table.
6: (laughs) Yes, but the date on this paper, November 7th, 1933. This
11: paper's 15 years old. Sir Hubert has been dead for 15 years.
6: I say, this is going to be a blow to our club, you know. We elected him president two years ago.
10: It's incredible. Sir Hubert did 15 years? Why, he looks the same today as he did 15
11: years ago.
6: Identically the same.
11: Sir Hubert is the same as he was 15 years ago, Lady Bottomley. What? Look at this hole in his head. What do you see sticking out? Mohair. Mohair is right. Sir Hubert has been stuffed. (laughs) Look here on his neck. One of them labels that was on the elephant. Taxidermy by Aubrey Tuttle.
6: You mean the taxidermist actually murdered my brother, Sir Hubert, and then stuffed
11: Yeah, Lady Bottomley.
6: Extraordinary.
10: Who was the taxidermist?
11: You, Bellwether.
10: But I'm the butler. My name is Bellwether. Hercules T. Bellwether. Oh, yeah?
11: That signet ring on your thumb there. The initials... (laughs) The initials is A.T. A.T.?
10: Oh, that's an abbreviation
11: for athlete. Roll the... And Stop! The music! (laughs) The jig is up, Aubrey Tuttle. You might as well confess. It'll make me very happy. Oh, but happiness is so middle class. Regardless.
6: I do wish you'd confess, Bellweather, I'm famished for a cup of tea.
10: Very well, Lady Bottomley. I am Aubrey Tuttle. I knew it. I killed Sir Hubert. Oh, and
6: you well, bound up. But why? <laughs> but why, Mr. Tuttle?
10: Well, 15 years ago, Sir Hubert returned from Africa with a boatload of big game. I was his taxidermist.
11: And you stuffed the animals?
10: I put everything I had into them. When I finished, my bill was 2,000 pounds Sir so, Hubert refused to pay me You was
11: penniless, eh? I had to
10: have money I knew Sir Hubert was getting 20 pounds a month from his sister in England So I decided to murder Sir Hubert Pose as his butler And collect the money he owed me
11: What became of Bellwether, the real butler?
10: Oh, he's in the closet with the rest of the staff
11: You mean them stuffed stiffs or the staff?
10: <laughs>
11: Why did you kill them and stuff them, Bellwether? I had some mohair left over.
6: Uh-huh. Aubrey Tuttle, you are a fiend, definitely. By Jove, my opponent dead for 15 years. It's so difficult to tell in chess.
11: Say, where are you going, Tuttle? I think I shall step out for a bit of swan Come back here, you. And
10: hand me, you succulent mendicant. Oh, 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 oh ah. right in the peeper. Oh, 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 oh. A bit of a shiner.
11: Okay, Tuttle, you're coming with me, or? Or what? Or my name ain't Sam Shovel, Private Black Eye.
0: Welcome back. Well, I love Fred Allen, just really did lean into the absurd on this. Uh, and I, I Like I said, I enjoyed it. Uh, worth uh, pointing out. Arthur Treacher uh, features in this. And Treacher was famous for playing butlers in movies. And it does seem that invariably when he guest starred on a radio program that it would inevitably tie into him uh, being known for playing butlers. Well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback. And we have a comment on YouTube from Fred who writes uh, regarding Sam and the Yana Sovereign. Very amusing. I always wondered about where Sam Spade came from. Never mind, that's not the way sleeping sickness works. Uh, It works for the story. I wondered how these old gumshoes survived all those head blows without permanent brain injury, seeing how easily he gets sucker punched. I suspect there is permanent brain injury. What a wonderful way to spend a quiet evening before TV or streaming video. I'd forgotten this aspect of radio before it became a political tool. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Fred. Appreciate your comment. And, And, you know, that is one of those things that was a trope in the uh, hard-boiled detective programs. It didn't necessarily happen all the time, except for some detectives it did. uh, You know, Pat Novak for hire, uh, Richard Rogue almost in every episode. But still, even if you're only getting knocked around every third or fourth week, you know, that adds up to be a lot of concussion. I I think that there are two things that with the uh, hard boiled detectives in the Golden Age of radio, I think people were willing to give a lot of suspension of disbelief, and that was really helped by the fact that if anything, uh, there was light continuity on detective programs. Rarely was there any a big cumulative consequence or storyline that carried over from episode to episode. Now, you can find, you know, some exceptions where past adventure was referenced. But I think the assumption, unspoken, is that at the start of each episode, unless stated otherwise, they've returned to their default factory settings, and so they're good for another concussion or two in this week's episode. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Matthew, Patreon supporter, since August of 2021, currently supporting us at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Matthew. And that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We'll be back next Monday with another episode of Sam Spade, but join us back here tomorrow for Mr. Chameleon, where...
5: Good
11: afternoon. I'm Chameleon of the police. You called for us?
2: Yes. My father committed suicide. Oh, please come in.
11: Thank you. We had your call to that effect. I uh, take it that you are Rosalind Watkins Rogers? Yes. This is Detective Dave Arnold. How do you do, Mrs. Rogers?
2: I... I can't understand why father should have ended his own life, Mr. Camille.
11: Well, after your call reporting his suicide, Rosalind, we had a second call, reporting that he was murdered.
2: I don't understand.
11: Detective Arnold and I do not investigate suicide cases, Rosalind. Only
2: murders. Nobody could have murdered my father, Mr. Chameleon. He locked himself in his study, turned on the gas logs in the grate, and... and died in there alone. The door is still locked. We couldn't get in.
11: That's quite true, Mr. Chameleon.
2: Oh, this is my husband, Bruce Rogers, Mr. Chameleon.
11: How do you do, Bruce?
10: That's the door there, Mr. Chameleon. Try it. You'll see it's bolted from inside.
11: Well, I'll leave that to do, uh, Detective Arnold.
10: Shall I smash
11: it in? No, Dave. Uh, Try your keys first.
0: I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host,
8: Adam Graham, signing off.